Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for taking time to be with us today. Welcome to Gigabit Nation. Uh, we are here to talk about um, ways in which uh, public, private, and nonprofit organizations can contribute to the cause of getting more and better broadband everywhere it needs to be in the U.S. Um, last week's big news, uh, for those of you who are following uh, the space closely, is that the city of Los Angeles announced that they were going to put out an RFP for a huge um, broadband network. And it's a somewhat complex, uh, somewhat of a complex project as I have been reading through this. But the magnitude of it in terms of just the, if you look at the population of, of Los Angeles, and it's got 3.6 or 0.7 million people. Um, it is a geographical area. Interesting enough, interestingly, it is a, a little bit smaller than the, the 600 miles of Chattanooga. But in terms of numbers of people, uh, multi-dwelling units, businesses, and so forth, it's it's definitely going to you know, dwarf the, the the Chattanooga area in, in, in some respects. But uh, I think the other thing about the announcement that was uh, spectacular beyond just the, uh, the magnitude of the network itself is that the city is putting out an RFP to get the private sector basically to underwrite the cost of uh, the network. And there are expected mandates of um, uh, broadband coverage, a layer of free broadband services, um, and, and basically, if you were around and following broadband in 2005, 2006, there are some similarities, but again, there are also some differences. So to help us sort through all of these questions about um, this, uh, this RFP, I've invited uh, the general manager of, of the Information Technology Agency for Los Angeles, Steve Reniker, to be my guest today. And Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you, Craig. It's good to be here. Or I should say welcome back, because actually Steve has been on the show uh, before. Steve was formerly uh, CIO of Riverside, California, and over in Riverside, uh, Steve and I have talked a, a number of times, and I've been down to see the, 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 the fruits of, of Steve's labor as far as um, attacking the issue of digital inclusion and, and providing uh, free Wi-Fi services throughout the city of Riverside. So actually, we've we've been you know in in touch a bit. So so welcome back, Steve, and uh, you know congratulations on your new post. Uh, before the show, you and I we were talking about um, a little bit of your history, and it'd probably be good to set up this discussion about LA to talk about a couple of the the really uh, innovative things that you did as CIO of Riverside. And, and granted, Riverside is, is not the same size as L.A., but it's still a substantial metropolitan area. So, Steve, let's, let's get a little bit of the, the, the background here. Well, you know, thank you. It's good to be back here in L.A. I started my uh, government career here, so it's, it's good to be back. But uh, Riverside was, was a, a great stepping stone. It was a time where, you know, municipal Wi-Fi was just getting started. Uh, we were taking a look at, at probably back in 2006, uh, really what Philadelphia was doing, what San Francisco was doing, and, and everybody was really trying to get their, their arms around wireless and, and could it be deployed 
and be subsidized via advertisement? Uh, could it be an anchor tenant model? Uh, and in, this, in, this, in the case of Riverside, uh, they opted for an anchor tenant model, and uh, it was able to get uh, mostly deployed, uh, and it met a huge geography challenge uh, in that community where uh, approximately 30% of the residents there were without broadband. And so this gave uh, a, a large geography, uh, an aspect of broadband up to one meg. And mm -hmm. so we were able to create a digital inclusion program around it uh, that offered free training, free refurbished computers, uh, and a customer premise equipment that allowed uh, access to the wireless network from indoors in their home. And so that was successful. About 6,000 uh, low-income families were able to get access to it. Uh, but as it went on in time and the network uh, became aged, I mean, obviously, Riverside's now challenged with what do you do uh, from a refresh strategy. So um, I wish them best in trying to figure that out. So in coming to Los Angeles, we're really looking to, to do a similar model, but not just make it Wi-Fi, but really make it more of a uh, fiber to the home strategy. Okay. So I think, you know, again, as I mentioned at the start, we are familiar with how back in 2005, 2006, um, a bunch of communities put out RFPs asking the private sector to build uh, mini Wi-Fi networks citywide, provide services for free, uh, you know, maybe relying on advertising and so forth. And, there were, and a whole wave of that started. And I think what also started was a lot of fly-by-night companies popped up to walk in the cities and promise them free, um, you know, free Wi-Fi. We'll build this for free. And, and you probably know as well as I do the, you know, how the landscape became littered with the carcasses of those particular businesses. How is this project different from that strategy that went oh so well back in 2006? Well, really the, the main difference is um, collaborating with the carriers that already exist. I mean, not that we didn't do that in Riverside, but certainly in L.A. we want to respect the fact that there's a lot of strong carriers here that have made millions of dollars of, of investment in infrastructure. Uh, we would like to try to leverage them where we can uh, and hopefully – uh, make them not only a responder to the RFP, but if any one of them were awarded, that there's some, some aspect of net neutrality that allows everybody to be able to share that infrastructure. So that's one vision. Uh, whether that's executed in a strategy remains to be seen. Uh, but we're going into it with that premise. So what we wanted to try to do from the evolution of, say, cities of Riverside, um, is we wanted to take a look at the success stories that have happened after municipal wireless um, actually started entering its decline. And that was really around the time that long-term evolution or 3G, 4G services from carriers came in and offered a lot of ubiquitous voice and data plans at affordable costs. Uh, and it really just killed or stifled uh, really municipal wireless projects from even expanding or even being initiated after that came out. But what we, we watched out there were the communities like Chattanooga and the Kansas cities uh, and many other of the 100-plus communities out there that have done fiber-to-the-home projects. And, and what we're seeing here in Los Angeles is really 
you know, the inter entertainment capital of really the United States here, uh, and really taking a look at the technology aspects that are going around it, is there's, there's a need from both the economic development element as well as to service a community here that, if you take a look at incomes here, similar to Riverside that are under $45,000 a year in annual income, uh, large percentage base, around 33% here. Um, so we need to try to figure out how we can really service the community and provide an infrastructure like other communities around the U.S. have in providing services up to one gig. And so that's what we want to try to do with this RP is entice an organization to come in to want to build out fiber to the home and offer a ubiquitous wireless coverage with hopefully some level of digital inclusion element into it. But instead of just the city being an anchor tenant, uh, we're willing to give up a number of services and dedicate those to a vendor over a 10-year period of time. So it's really an anchor tenant on steroids model is what I would call it. Uh, how do you, well, oh, actually one thing before I ask this question, I should probably point out that while I was talking about all of the mini Wi-Fi trauma that went on, Riverside was actually one of the few cities that did not suffer the same fate. I mean, you guys had the network. AT&T ran it for a while, and they gave it back to the city. But you guys avoided a lot, and I think our audience should be aware, you know, you guys avoided a lot of the downside so, um, you know, we should take that into definitely into, a, into account. Um, to come back to the, um, the, the nature of the RFP, have, have any of the incumbents given you in, any indication that they're really interested in this kind of a model because the larger telcos have been fairly stubborn in what they've resisted when it comes to municipal broadband and, and, and the type of models that they are not interested in participating in. Uh, have, have you seen or heard stuff from the incumbents that gives you hope that they will look at this differently than they have elsewhere? Um, yes, we, we've met with all the cable companies and the larger carriers. So we've met with you know, AT&T, Verizon, Time Warner, Cox, Charter, T-Mobile, um, Sprint, Nextel. Uh, and, 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 and even Google, you know, to really have the conversation about would there be interested in responding, it, would there be a model similar to that. I mean, they can't commit on behalf of their, their corporate bodies, but certainly they're, you know, we're, we're seeing that there's interest from AT&T and Verizon. We're seeing that uh, there's interest from the cable companies, maybe even a consortia type of manner. Uh, not sure whether Google would respond or not. Uh, but what is clear is every single one of those uh, carriers would have to change their business model to be able to comply. So really what LA is trying to pilot here, is there a business model that provides adequate revenue stream and margin for uh, the carrier uh, that wins this RFP, and could it be a model that could be replicated in other communities around the United States? So mm -hmm. it remains to be seen whether that can happen, but certainly we're trying to structure the RFP in a manner to uh, give flexibility and provide uh, a capability for the city of LA from a services standpoint uh, where it's grossly years behind and uh, this whole effort could be, end up being a win-win both from the internal city side as well as for the community's benefit. Mm -hmm. so, so you acknowledge that they'll have to change their, um, their business model a little, well maybe a lot, depends on how the, how, how the uh, 
I don't know how strict the corporate culture is against this kind of thing. What's their incentive to um, to change their ways? So obviously, you know, the city is going to be working to expedite permits, make available uh, assets like street lamps, power poles, city facilities uh, right away uh, for build out. Number one, but number two, we're we're willing to guarantee a revenue stream up to ten years. That'll include not just utilizing, uh, say, a fiber network for government use, but also potentially, um, you know, transferring over um, and re-architecting our entire data network and taking through our Cisco spend and having them do second and third level support on our data network, uh, completely replacing our entire voice network uh, and handing level two and level three support for that. So our entire Fiber spend we have today to third parties is about $7.9 million. We'd be looking at dedicating that to the vendor. Uh, if, there's, if the provider is also a cellular provider, uh, we have about $8.2 million a year in cell spend. We'd be looking at dedicating that spend uh, potentially over a 10-year period. Uh, and there's other things that we're, we're really strongly looking at, uh, whether they have cloud solutions for data centers where we, ha we still have 24 data centers in our non-proprietary departments, and what that means is those departments outside our, our water and power, our airports and our ports um, that still have 24 data centers. And so there will be efforts to take a look at how we can centralize that, and we're really going to look to this as a potential contract vehicle uh, to help solve that issue as well. So if I'm understanding correctly, what you're saying is one of your um, carrots, as it were, is uh, an, an aggressive broadband spend by the city structure. What I mean by that, the city government structure and all the various agencies. Yeah, we're looking at just transferring the spend we currently have um, over a 10-year period and dedicating that to the vendor uh, for the services that their core expertise is in. Um, but there might also be some new projects like a complete refresh of our data network, completely refresh of our voice network, and we'd be taking through that entire spend and implementation through the, car uh, through the uh, carrier uh, should that be their core competency. Mm -hmm. um, well, that, that, will, that, would prove, uh, that would prove valuable. Let me ask this question, though. What, what is the likelihood, what is the ability of the city to be able to go out and aggressively aggregate uh, demand, whether it's residential demand or business demand. And what I mean by that, for some of our audience who might be wondering, um, I have seen examples of community stakeholders or you know actual uh, city officials who will go out and document the need and also you know, aggressively pull those folks together, get commitments uh, for a vendor or for you know, a series of vendors. But basically, when they go out and then say, we want you to come service our community, they're saying, okay, we've identified you know, X number of this and you know, X percentage of that and so forth and so on throughout their constituency. So it's not just the you know, the city spending or the city, you know, becoming part of this, but also aggressively aggregating that constituent demand. Is that something that you guys have thought about doing, may not do? It's, you know, where, where are you on that one? Well, back in 2007, there was a great deal of effort that was spent with Cividium here 
uh, in an effort by uh, previous mayors, uh, Mayor, Mayor Viragosa, that was really taking a look at the strategy of doing just Wi-Fi uh, citywide. And so there were a lot of discussions about uh, the community benefit and, and a lot of feedback about what the public wanted and what they were willing to do. So we've taken a lot of those aspects and really under the leadership of Councilman Blumenfield who chairs the Innovation Technology Committee that's really driving this project and in close ties with Mayor Garcetti's office who said, you know, let's think big on this because what we're really trying to do here is we're trying to say we just don't want this network to exist. Uh, we want to try to make it affordable. So we're requiring for both the fiber and for the wireless side is that there be a free component. Now we're saying we're somewhat flexible on that free because we don't want to force out competition, uh, but certainly we want to have a high speed enough uh, network for both fiber and wireless such that visitors can enjoy it. We can be an attraction vehicle um, for new business uh, development as well as those that are entrepreneurs here and want to create new technology businesses here. Uh, but from what we've seen, especially with our schools that are now deploying a one-to-one -one mobile device deployment for our Los Angeles Unified School District, they're challenged with 650,000 iPads that will be deployed, and yet a significant number of their students don't have broadband at home. So they're really looking to the city to try to uh, work closely with us to make sure that this happens and that um, you know, we can basically bridge that divide that exists not just for the schools but for the other low income that exists out there that uh, may be unemployed, maybe they only can get their benefits online today uh, for Social Security um, or social service needs. So that's really what our focus is on and I think the free component is probably the key and the challenge to the business model that, that many of the folks are going to have to consider. Mm -hmm. So in the um, oh in the net of things, how do you see um, I don't know in, in, if I look at typically how communities go about um, you know putting together their broadband plan and getting folks engaged to actually you know deliver services, there's a certain amount of research that happens. And in some cases, well, actually, Google has been a big, uh, I don't know, um, practitioner of this this uh, tactic of getting commitments. You know, they're they're all about the ten dollar commitment. That's part of the needs assessment, if you will, in the sense of they go out and they say, well, you know, everybody in the neighborhood that plunks down ten bucks, well, we know you're serious, and so that that drives their research in a sense. Um, in uh, central Missouri, they, you know, they were looking for $100, um, uh, I don't know, commitments, if you will, to show people's interest. And then if you look at the extreme, in, in, in a sense, out in Utopia in Utah, they, you know, offer folks, um, you know, broadband, but if they want to get a level of commitment, um, they, they're pre-selling, uh, you know, two and $3,000 connect charges. Right. These are all, you know, increasing um, implementations of the same tactic, which is getting a commitment in dollars of some sort from from constituents to prove that they're interested, to prove that they're serious customers, and to make the private sector or you know the co-op or whoever is running the network feel more comfortable. Are you guys going to do anything along 
those lines, or could you see something like that happening? What, what we are requiring in our RFP, and again, everything's going to be negotiable at the end of the day, right? Because, you know, there's, we, we figured what we would do is come up with an RFP that would have all of our asks and all of our gives, and at the end of the day, sit down and try to figure out, can we come to some amenable uh, compromise on really what's going to work for this community? So what we're asking for is that there be no upfront connection fees whatsoever, uh, so that there is a requirement to deliver to every residence, every multi-unit dwelling. Um, and what makes it different than Google is we, we're going to the business, so they would have to be a model change there for some of these folks that only do residential. Um, because our biggest gain from an economic development standpoint is going to be for those businesses uh, and being able to have high-speed, affordable broadband uh, to both small and medium-sized businesses, uh, but also our high-rise facilities here in the downtown Los Angeles area. So certainly that will be a requirement. Certainly uh, all of those entities will have the ability to opt out and say they don't want connection. Uh, and if they do so, we want to try to reserve the right where uh, they just don't come in and say, you know, we want a commitment right now, and by the way, if you don't give us a commitment, we're not going to come back and, and install. You know, we want to reserve the right of, you know, a piece of property sells, and the next owner says, hey, I do want connection, and I missed out during the initial deployment that there's the ability for the incumbent uh, installer to, to go back and with a reasonable time period go back and uh, provision service to those facilities as well. You know, mm -hmm. we also want to make sure that we got coverage for all of our parks, for all of our, um, our LA Zoo. We even have a Metropolitan um, Transit Authority uh, that wants coverage in uh, our bus fleet and a certain number of rail cars that, that transport uh, within inside the city limits. So um, those are kind of all the key aspects there. Uh, we understand from a customer premise equipment standpoint that there may require a, a device that might be either purchased or leased, um, and we're certainly going to allow that um, aspect of it. Uh, but we're really looking at the premium, the basic and the premium services that are paid that they're able to deliver over this network, including um, perhaps some advertisement for the free component uh, that will have a revenue stream uh, based on the amount of residents that live here uh, that will make it uh, very attractive. Mm -hmm. Um, so is it a philosophical issue when, it, when you say that, that there isn't an interest in asking for any kind of dollar commitment up front? Or is no, we, some other? no we, we, we are not going to allow uh, the vendor to require a residential upfront connection fee. Um, you know, this is a beneficial network to the community. It's something where we want everybody connected that wants to be connected. Um, and, you know, certainly the network needs to be designed in such a manner that, you know, provides basic services on a free, but maybe mm -hmm. it doesn't allow, um, you know, any premium or uh, extreme download speeds for, say, audio and video where they'd want to um, migrate to a, a paid service, as an example, um, those kind of things. So. I think it's really in the design of the bill out of the network that um, they, they don't need to have that commitment up front. I think when you're dealing with three and a half million people that today are having to spend a significant portion of their bill um, for either satellite, you know, cable, um, 
you know, internet broadband service that uh, people are constantly looking for options, and uh, we really believe this will give them some options. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that uh, any, any folks here that are listening that follow me regularly know where I stand on, on this particular question I'm about to ask you, but I'd like to get somebody else to, you know, to, to weigh in on this, which is the question of uh, business customers versus residential. So in, in, in um, all the Google Fiber areas, uh, Kansas City, Provo, eventually Austin, they are focused on residential, and the business side seems like a for an afterthought. Um, what is the problem in your view of why this doesn't make sense? Because you guys, you know, L.A. is taking a different stance than that, but why? And, and the number one reason is, you know, being the entertainment capital world where you have a lot of uh, – movie picture companies here. We have a lot of media that's uh, large in nature uh, that just by the fact that they're positioned here uh, could be a good test bed for other media companies wanting to come and relocate here as well. So it's a huge economic development tool. Uh, we already got a lot of uh, tech areas in our downtown and in our um, Silicon Beach area, uh, and we're looking at growing that presence. And I think we all know, we, we've, we've seen it back in Kansas City where you've got you know, large entrepreneurs but moving into residential property to get a gig connection. Well, it shouldn't have to be that way. You know, it should be able to um, pay and, and get affordable broadband um, to those small and medium-sized uh, tech companies that are looking to grow their business. Okay. Now, if you had to say, you know, you had to prioritize uh, one type of subscriber over another, where would you rank businesses, institutions, and individuals? I mean, if you only had, you know, an X number of resources to throw at this, um, where, where, would you, where would you rank these three? So when you say resources, Craig, what are, what are you alluding to there? Well, it, almost everybody who's building a broadband network has some, fi- they have a finite amount of hours, people, and, and dollars. So when you ask them a questions about, you know, what's their, what's going to be their, you know, like their first market they're going to attack or address, who they're going to sign up first, you know, and because they only have the limited resources, they will typically have a ranking order. You know, either they're going to focus on residential first, or they're going to focus on business first. Um, are, are, we are we you kind of have a, an interesting, it's probably a little more complex model to answer that okay. question. One of the things that's going to the voters in Los Angeles uh, is their number one priority, and that's their streets. So we have a $3 billion bond measure going out next year to the voters to uh, do some street overlays and some street repairs, and uh, that's a, probably one of the number one concerns of most citizens of this community. So we're trying to time this project and this effort, and it's difficult for me to actually articulate what areas are going to be served first, but what I can tell you is that we do have a right-of-way system that will ensure that any of the assets that are going to be placed underground and potentially require constructions on our street will be closely tied to that street overlay project, if you will, that bond Mm -hmm. measure, to ensure that everything that's done from this fiber infrastructure build-out 
is done in a manner where the streets won't be touched, at least from that fiber and broadband perspective, for upwards of 10 years. So that's, that's really our goal going into it. We are requiring the construction companies uh, that will be involved in this build-out um, to require uh, dedicating and paying for uh, two dedicated inspectors that will be dealing with right-of-way issues, uh, five uh, inspectors that will be involved with inspection of the right-of-way construction projects, and five inspectors in our Department of Water and Power that will be dealing with the hanging of fiber, whether it's overhead or through underground assets. So there will be upwards of 12 dedicated people, which we believe will be required uh, during this build-out period, which we estimate to be between three and five years. So it's not going to happen overnight. You know, 455 square miles, and as you said, 3.7 million people. Uh, it's a complex problem to deal with, uh, and it's going to require a lot of resources on both sides. Mm -hmm. So there's a, there's a, there is a method, there is some sense of a priority, but it sounds like some of that you are taking the logical step of identifying a public works slash right-of-way project and because I think a lot of folks have realized that if you're going to dig up the ground once, you may as well tie the broadband effort to that in terms of deploying conduit and other infrastructure as a way of saving money and possibly speeding up the, the, the broadband deployment, correct? Correct. Okay. And, and that right-of-way system not only includes street overlay, it already is in production and it has all of our construction and right-of-way projects for all water, uh, power infrastructure, and sanitation, um, as well as other, other activities as well that occur in our streets. So uh, we can monitor all of that to make sure that we're uh, doing this in a prudent fashion. Mm -hmm. Well, no, that, that, that's logical. I mean, that, make, that makes a lot of sense. And it seems, you know, I guess part of this discussion is a little uh, different for the show here because L.A. is probably the biggest city that has been represented for any kind of infrastructure project like this. So, you know, whereas typically I'm talking to folks here with, you know, 20,000 people, 40,000 people, they may have, I don't know, five square miles as their city, you know, limits or boundaries, you know, L.A. is, is huge. I mean, this is a, a fairly gargantuan project of sorts. And so the, the logistics are going to be, um, I assume the logistics of this, once you get into it, is going to be like, a, I don't know, starting up like a major new business, if you were kind of to draw a parallel between the private sector and the public sector, right? I mean, you're going to have to have a fair amount of, of planning resources, people resources, you know, j just to get the logistics done properly. Because, I mean, L.A. is pretty complex as the city goes. Certainly. And so, yeah, we have identified in the RP what those resources are and the, the commitment from the vendor uh, to provide reimbursement for those for the build-out period. Mm -hmm. So you think it will be three to five? That's, um, or, or what three to five years? Yeah. I mean, what level yeah. do you, of, of completion do you plan? Do you expect to be totally complete in, complete in five years or 70% or is that still a question mark? It's still a question mark, and it's up for negotiation. Our desire would be that it would be uh, mostly built out in three and completed in five. Um, mm -hmm. That's our desire, and, and the ability for the vendors to do that in cooperation with, with the city remains to, to be negotiated and seen. 
Okay. Will services come on as the infrastructure gets built out, or is that also an unknown at the moment? It's really unknown. We would hope that it will start at the beginning of the project as well. Um, so yes, we're looking at needing to do some major internal City of LA um, changes and implementation starting in year one of the contract. And so we view a lot of these services, whether it can be enhancing the network, rolling out voice over IP, uh, having a, uh, a cloud-based data center where we can start uh, consolidating infrastructure as technology refresh takes place, having all those things coming together in year one uh, so that we can complete those efforts within that same three to five year period. Mm -hmm. Now, in one article, I saw, it, um, what was it, that the reporter wrote, I don't think he was quoting anybody, but I think he wrote that this was going to be a network um, only for Internet access. Then another article, and also what you said here, seems to indicate that there will be other services um, besides just data services. So I'm curious, which, which, which is it going to be, or is this, again, part of the RFP process that will sort that out? Well, the, the intent is for it to be an open network, um, be able to provision additional services on it. Uh, we do have legal resources that are looking at the RFP on the language to find out uh, if there's any issues associated with uh, provisioning uh, any television and voice services over that and if they're subject to any other regulations that, that make it practical or impractical uh, to consider uh, in this RFP. So all of that will be hashed out before it hits the streets. Okay. So it is a it, it's part of the question then really. Yes, it is. Oh, okay. All right. So I mean that, that makes sense. You just um, gotta always be careful when you get the different uh, articles rolling out and people's commentary and so forth. Um, one of the the first things that you know when I saw the announcement uh, about LA that I thought was spectacular is that up until last week, I think most people have viewed the urban area as a, a, you know, broadband needs in the urban area as being one of primarily of adoption, right? That there's a sense that the urban areas have all the infrastructure they need, they have all the capacity they need, they're ready for the future, there's plenty of competition and so forth and so on, and it's just the rural areas are primarily the rural areas that have all of these deficiencies and have these infrastructure problems and so forth and so on. I have contended, though very few people seem to listen, that the urban areas have maybe not as severe an issue as some of the rural areas do, but there is still a lacking in quality and speed of infrastructure in urban America that puts them on par with rural areas, that we should you know, not assume that the, rural, that the urban areas are all well taken care of. Am I wrong in my assessment, or is no? You're not. You're not wrong at all. I mean, you go to uh, a lot of different uh, city council districts out here, and maybe not all of them have quite to the extent. But there's significant areas uh, where uh, we have low income that absolutely have zero service, uh, don't even have connection, don't even have options. Now, certainly there's those areas where they have some level of connection, but they can't afford it. 
So, you know, I would say that, you know, I would be surprised if, if our build out here in the Los Angeles area legitimately is above 80%. And so mm -hmm. I would still see from what I have seen personally and going out and talking to a lot of nonprofits, service to low income, uh, that they're out there trying to build their own peer-to-peer uh, -peer wireless networks to provide some level of basic connectivity to these communities with large populations of low income that still are in need. So, yeah, that still is a, a key critical area of focus and needs to be for LA, um, despite the fact that there's a lot of build-out in other areas. Mm -hmm. So what would you say to other large communities about this? Because, you know, I listen to a number of the bigger city, you know, mayors and politicians and whatnot, and they don't seem to see this, I think, the same way that, you, that you're seeing this in L.A. Um, is there some sort of, I don't know, colleague advice that you would give? Or, um, I mean, what do, you, what do you say to another, you know, your, say your counterpart in another large city or the mayor of another large city who's like, oh, we got, we got everything we need? Yeah, I think, you know, actually going out and, and doing physical inventories of infrastructure in, in neighborhoods and also leveraging census data because a lot of the census data uh, that's out there tells a good story because in this last census that was done, um, they actually captured do households have broadband, do they have a computer inside the home. So you can leverage a lot of that data to, to make some basic decisions of maybe how connected or, or not. Uh, your communities are. So, you know, I, I think that's one thing. The other thing you got to understand when, when the carriers come in, uh, they're going to do the build out where the revenue is. And even though they're required by law to build out in all areas, I mean, the bottom line is they, they're going to do so in a fashion that can maybe accommodate a little bit of what they're supposed to, but the majority is still going to be where their revenues need to be made to, to meet the bottom line. And so it doesn't mean that one particular carrier is really going to be able to do it all unless you have a project this magnitude that actually requires it. Wait, I'm sorry, say that last part again? Unless you have a project like the LA Community Broadband Network where we're actually coming up with a requirement that they, at least they need to uh, offer the service to everybody. Okay. So that, that, do you consider that to be your primary leverage point to get uh, incumbents or the large providers to service areas that they normally would not service at all? Exactly. How successful do you expect that to be, or are we going to kind of have to wait and see? And, and the reason I ask this question, you know, I look at, say, for example, Google. Right, so Google comes in, and then when they first landed in Kansas City, they were saying, or at least it was implied, that the network was going to be open access, and everyone was going to, you know, have service that needs service, and they're going to have their tier of, you know, free service if you can just pay the connection cost. Then they have completely walked away from the open access. I mean, it's not even talked about anymore. And in terms of everybody having access there have been rules and requirements put into place that have had the effect of excluding um, communities. And so those of us, you know, advocate, agitator-type folks on the sidelines, 
are saying, where is Kansas City's leverage? Where is any community's leverage if someone comes in and they're saying, okay, yep, we're going to do this, and then you kind of get all engaged, and then, you know, little by little, these things start to, to drop off. Um, how, how, how does a city deal with that? Well, it's complicated. I think it all comes down to the contract and being able to negotiate something up front uh, that that mandates uh, what the capabilities are. Number one, you need to, to make sure that um, there isn't a financial commitment for a household. I mean, you go to a low-income household and you ask for $300 up front or you won't be able to get free. Well, these, these folks, the reason they don't have broadband today is because they don't have $300 up front. So you've got to be able to hit everybody. You, you do have to provide some type of openness for your network. Certainly you're going to, in your contracts, you can give some preferential uh, credit from a wholesale rate perhaps to the incumbent uh, winner of this thing. Uh, but there's got to be some level of openness so you don't create uh, a level of competition that, that, that forces businesses that have made that huge amount of, of infrastructure investment out of business. That doesn't service anyone well. But certainly you're hoping that you choose a carrier that when they do their build-out strategy, build strategy and they come up with their, their basic and their premium services that they offer, that the take rates that they get will be enough to offset that build-out and that investment. And certainly that's what the city of L.A. is looking for and then responded is somebody that you know, runs the numbers, that determines what their build-out costs are going to be, that is able to come up with a potential revenue stream based on their service offerings that, that maybe some are even offerings that you haven't even seen today from incumbent carriers out there uh, that they may be able to offer that make it unique uh, to capturing a revenue stream that will self-stain itself going forward. And the city is basically putting a lot on the line. I mean, we're, we're looking at turning over uh, a lot of our mission-critical services to this vendor. So it's got to be somebody that's got the financial strength somebody that's got a proven track record, and somebody that can build out in a community this large and, and be successful. Mm -hmm. Is it possible to, um, I don't know, carve the city up in, um, and offer, in essence, I mean, I'm sure it's a, uh, a lawyer's nightmare or windfall, depending on how you look at these things, but, um, you know, I had a conversation with someone in or about Kansas City. She was from another state. And, you know, she goes, one of the problems that she sees with, you know, people either happy or unhappy with Google, or particularly when they become unhappy, she goes, well, they look at it as if Google is the only player there. Now, the city had all kinds of agreements and contracts to get service for Kansas City from Google, but to the best of her knowledge and mine as well, there weren't any um, stipulations that there could be no other competitor. I mean, there may not be other competitors on the Google infrastructure that Google puts in the ground, but at the same time, you know, there doesn't seem to be anything in place that would prevent, um, say, like, for example, Google doesn't provide business services. Well, should Kansas City look at striking a deal with a different provider to um, – you know, to, 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 to provide that business service. And so looking at that discussion in that scenario, um, I'm wondering, you know, is L.A. the kind of place, even though you're looking at writing one RFP, could it not be the case that you would look to 
you know, bring in a small cadre of, of providers? I mean, you've, you've talked about this a little bit, but I want to get a little more sense of how you, how you folks might address that. You know, it's a good question, Craig, and I, and I think right now we're, we're trying to leave uh, flexibility in, in the proposals that everything's willing to be considered. I mean, everything is negotiable. So if there were groups of investors that came in with multiple strategies um, and multiple different options that served uh, different business groups, Yes, the, the city would be open to that, but, but certainly the intent and the spirit of, of the RFP is to try to make it something that's easy to manage, uh, that goes with somebody that's, that, that's already proven in the industry. Um, so the desire to have somebody that can do it all is our preference. Mm-hmm. Huh. Okay. That will... Um you know, I guess it'll it'll prove to be interesting in terms of uh, the the logistics of that. But I think that um, you know, if I look at some of the commentary I've seen flying back and forth, and comments made on on the articles that were written about the announcement last week, you know, there's a certain amount of um, I would say the the most consistent skepticism that I have seen in those comments are that you can find one vendor one provider willing to do the whole shooting match um, that is going to be difficult to find from the usual suspects of providers, uh, any of them who will bend enough to make the vision that you have work. And, I mean, do you have any, any, any thoughts on that? Well, I think that's the skepticism out there, right? I mean, I, mm-hmm. I agree. I've, I've heard some things. There's still a fallacy out there that people think it's going to cost the city a lot. I mean, the city's basically saying we're, we're, we're requiring that, you know, it's a private-public partnership. The private sector is doing the build. Uh, the city is going to be both an anchor tenant and willing to devote dedicated services over a period of time, but uh, nothing more than we would have been spending anyway. So there is no increased cost to LA uh, in this in this build out so you know that that's one aspect of it I think the the other aspect that that you touched on and is um, the competition side of things is you know regardless of who's chosen for this this effort I mean it's they're not going to get a hundred percent take rate uh, it's certainly you know it's not designed to be that way is we we want some openness in the network. We would love to have the ability for whoever wins to be required to be, provide wholesale services to other carriers. So maybe that all that upfront construction and spend uh, can be offset by uh, multiple vendors being able to provide their solutions over that same fiber pipe. I mean, that, that's a dream, right? But could mm-hmm. that actually happen? Um, and whether will, will it happen as a result of this RP, we don't know. But I think what we're trying to do is say, hey, we here in LA, uh, we think it's right to try a new, mo- new model. Uh, we've seen how the wireless projects have gone. Uh, we've also had an opportunity now to see how, you know, literally uh, over 100 of these fiber to the home projects have, have, have gone. And so now all we're saying is, well, does it really make sense to try to combine the efforts so that you have 
a high-speed option at, at, at the house with also a f some smaller um, free component and also have the ability to roam your entire community and wherever you go, you can always have that free level or that of, uh, uh, of basic, basic broadband, but also have the ability, if you're a paid service, to be able to get that anywhere you want at a higher speed as well. Um, so we think that's, that's unique. We, we think that uh, the build-outs and the strategies that are being delivered today uh, are much more cost-effective than they were um, 10 years ago. And so we, th we think now is a good time for LA to try, and, and certainly it's a good time for the United States to start catching up with our, our neighboring you know, countries that have, have already uh, surpassed us uh, over the last seven and eight years. Mm -hmm. Let me. I'm 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 hunting around here because I got one one of the comments. Uh, let's see. I'm looking at um, Facebook here, and we. Um, I guess one of the one of the uh, questions. Well, one of the questions that people wanted to have posed was the you know the issue of of competition, and um, you know how. In reality, you know how much of that can you encourage or facilitate? Now it sounds like you you know you've thought through this one fairly well. You've talked about you know mandating that it be open. Um, some of the problems that some communities have had is that they've built a network, they've built an open access, and then they have struggled to find, even with the incentives and all the rest of it, providers who will come on board. Do you have, I don't know, is there somebody in, in the city, you know, part of your team or whatever, you know, thinking about maybe coming up with some sort of, I don't know, magic pill, magic potion, magic shillelagh, something to, um, you know, to, to get over that hurdle? Because I think if you look at the, I don't know, the, the, the sentiment, you know, just besides, besides the size of the project is the issue of, um, you know, will competition really show up in the end, in the final analysis? Well, really, the answer to that is is the definition of open. I mean, how open are you really going to make it? Um, it all comes down into that wholesale rate and being able to provide provisions in your contract that really make it enticing for them to mm -hmm. want to come and, and to number one, to make sure that the vendor you've chosen really allows it because um, there's a lot of times where you can create an open network, but they really don't want anybody to join in. And they really make it complicated and difficult almost to the extent that incumbent competition just says, ah, we'll just keep it the way we have or we'll just build it out ourselves. Um, and so I think, you know, we're really looking at, well, you know, with the way that the industry is going and with the influx of devices out there that people have, it's going mobile. I mean, we got more and more folks that go mobile, and the amount of cell sites uh, that that and that need to be developed uh, as a result of providing the level of community that's going to have mobile mobile devices, they're going to be looking for offloading a lot of that services on networks. So, being able to have an open network that can handle cell offloads uh, for voice and data. Um, I think is going to be more important and making it easier for all the incumbent carriers to be able to serve a, a larger market like LA, uh, it'll be required. So I think 
you need to have that innovative piece of the openness specified in there that makes it easier for those carriers to negotiate the agreements and also make the, the winning vendor um, want to try to leverage and get those contracts to get that additional uh, revenue stream that's necessary to uh, offset their build-out costs. Mm -hmm. Is it possible that, you know, the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power has, as I understand it, a fairly huge um, fiber infrastructure in place? And I know that currently the, the, the party line is that um, the city doesn't want to commit that resource. But in the name of the better good or the greater good that broadband is to deliver, after you go through a six-month you know, RFP process and you've seen all that you know, bubbles up from that, is it conceivable that in the interest of the public good, the city can step in and, and, and build some of this infrastructure or use some of its infrastructure that exists already to facilitate the, the build-out of the network? So to give you a perspective, it's, it's a good question because LADWP does have a lot of fiber resource that's out there. Most of it is servicing their essential uh, power and water facilities. Uh, and about 5% of that is, is leveraged for commercial use. Uh, but to give you an example, we've got about 1,540 city facilities. About 80 are connected to LADWP fiber today. They get first right of refusal to build fiber to these facilities, but the upfront cost that they charge, and because they use unionized employees uh, to deliver the engineering and the construction assets, they're only able to accommodate a build-out of about uh, one facility every couple of months. So to build out, just, just the city facilities would take well over 50 years, uh, and, and even then, many of the departments can't afford the upfront construction costs. So that's the reason why most of our government facilities are interconnected with third-party fiber today, um, and there's a need to, to have many more of those that aren't even on fiber that are still using old copper circuits and T1 circuits that will be going away over the next four or five years, and the carriers are going to force us with other types of connection strategies that it just makes sense to um, try to get that uh, resolved quicker within the terms of this contract, uh, and it will also enable LADWP to focus on their core competency as well. Mm -hmm. So, again, if I'm understanding what you're saying is that they're, um, the LA uh, Department of Water and Power has fiber resources, but also has first commitment obligations to city agencies, and the cost and the extensiveness of the need within those city agencies as such that they would be hard-pressed to make that happen, let alone look outside of those city agencies. But, but certainly it's to the benefit of the city to use LADWP fiber wherever possible because mm -hmm. every revenue that LADWP collects, whether it's from the city or outside, uh, there's a general fund transfer back to city general fund that the city benefits from. So we're better off using our own services where we can and Certainly, RP is written to allow city departments to be able to move to that strategy if they can afford to. Right. Okay. So it's there. That's kind of. But it had, there are obviously constraints and so forth around there. But we've got about five minutes, and the one big question I have is: um, it is one thing to build a uh, broadband infrastructure. 
it is yet another set of exercises to get that network to have the kinds of telemedicine, economic development, educational impacts that you want. What is going to what is what is going to bridge the build out with the actual using the the, the fiber to uh, achieve certain outcomes that you want to achieve? Well, it's really the the first, and what I mean by the first, it, it would be the the first network to provide a free component. It'll be the first network to provide speeds up to a gig, and so I think an affordable gig. And so that, that's really what we're looking for from a residential standpoint. And also for those small and medium-sized businesses that are really looking for uh, a faster service than they're able to get now through their commercial carrier or at least a much more affordable uh, broadband alternative, uh, that, that's really the differentiator. Um, is it's one thing to have broadband. Uh, it's another to offer it to the communities that are, that are unserved from a free or unserved from a high capacity standpoint, and that's the, the divide that we intend to uh, resolve through this RP. Mm-hmm. No, I, I guess what I'm thinking about though is that um, you, you're building that. For, for example, telemedicine, healthcare, so forth. If you, you build a network. Is there a I don't know a community organization? Is there a citywide stakeholder group? I think different cities like Kansas City have approached this a little differently, but they try to put some mechanism that basically says we've got the resource on one side, but we somehow, if all of these things that we expect to happen aren't going to happen by themselves. And, right. and so they try to facilitate a mechanism, you know, that will make these various things happen. Like I said, there may be a committee, there may be, you know, some sort of stakeholder committee. I, I don't know. But I'm wondering, you know, for, especially for a place the size of L.A., are, are there, is there any thought being given to how you actually achieve the public goods that you want beyond just the connectivity part of the equation? Yeah, there's probably about three key factors that we're looking at. You know, one is listed in the RP are a series of nonprofits that provide and bridge the digital divide issue. Um, and so those are specified in there. We, we also have... Um, a, a large uh, neighborhood empowerment department here that deals with uh, various neighborhood groups, and certainly there'll be an advocate group uh, that, that communicates out uh, this issue. Uh, we also will be having a private sector group that will be part of the evaluation of this, so I intend to bring in some CIOs from private sector to help determine the selection uh, and implementation aspects of this project. And one of the things the mayor's office, Mayor Garcetti, is, is, is looking at bringing on board is what he's calling a chief innovation and technology officer. And this is a position that's really geared towards the tech community, uh, but also leveraging aspects that are beneficial to uh, the tech sector. And I really view that that position will really be the champion behind this effort because it's really going to provide the building blocks of what's needed to be able to do uh, the business attraction and retention here in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, we're almost out of time, but I will say that um, that last item in particular, having a chief innovation officer, you know, I'm seeing that in play up here in Northern California, in a little place called San Leandro, and they've hired a chief innovations officer, and 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 uh, uh, she was actually on the show a few weeks ago, Deb Acosta, and she has 
driven and created a lot of energy around bringing people and, and entities together to leverage the, the broadband network that they're building in, um, in, in San Leandro. So probably that person is going to have a, you know, maybe the most important uh, position or department in that whole thing of translating technology into that laundry list of, you know, the public good and, and outcomes that facilitate the public good. So it, it sounds like you guys have a pretty good hold on, you know, what you, you're trying to do and seem to be fairly realistic about, you know, what are the areas of skepticism, what are the unknowns that can only be known by getting, engaging in the process. So from that, I am guessing that everyone feels fairly confident that, somewhere down the road, maybe five months or maybe a year, that good things will come from this effort, even if it doesn't look exactly like the vision of the RFP at this moment in time or the latest newspaper article at this moment in time. Well, that's certainly our hopes, Craig. Excellent. Well, I want to thank you, uh, Steve, for um, you know, coming back on the show, giving us the lowdown on L.A., you know, I wish you guys uh, the best of luck, and obviously, you know, I and and the folks listening to the show will be watching to see how developments unfold down there in L.A. So, so thank you very much for being here. Sure, you bet. Thank you. And thank you to our audience for listening in. Uh, I think it's been a great exchange. Uh, I think that we need to both follow L.A. closely and also keep an open mind uh, to the possibilities that this is going to be a very unconventional exercise that's going on down there and may end up rewriting some of the, you know, the rules that we have about broadband, young though those rules may be. So have a great day. We'll be back on the air again soon and uh, talking more broadband stuff. Thank you very much.